fresh. Fresh Podcast, I'm your host Mr. GQ, back again with another episode and I have a treat for you guys. Uh, it's an actor, somebody I grew up watching, I'm pretty sure y'all have seen him. We got Mr. Norman D, excuse me, Golden the second. How's it going, bro? Oh man, it's going, it's going great, it's going great. Yeah, can't complain, man, everything is all good. Oh man, I want to say I appreciate you coming on the show. I'm excited to have you. Yeah, man, I'm excited to be here. Glad to, you know, be able to, um, to you know, sit down and chat with you for a minute. You know, yeah. and connect. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you got planned for the weekend? Oh man, man, I can't even call it. Like I actually just, my fiance and I just moved into a new place, so you know we've been taking our weekends to to shop and furnish. So that's probably you know I'm. I'm on domestic duties for probably the next year. Oh, <laughs> if anybody's moved, you know how that goes. Right, right. Yeah. So. Well, congratulations on the fiance and the new career. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. So, where are you from? I'm originally. Well, I was born in Wisconsin. Okay. Um, so you know, shout out to the Midwest. Um, but I uh, I grew up here in uh, in L.A. I'm currently, you know, I currently reside in L.A. So. That's pretty much my 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 story from from the from the mid to the west. That makes like, sense. Okay, yeah, because yeah. I'm, I'm from the south. I've been out here for about ten years. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so yeah, I got I got you know I mean I have family from you know around different different various parts of the south, mostly uh, Tennessee and Mississippi. Okay, but you know. So, yeah. how did you get into acting? Oh, such a loaded question. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's one of those questions where, you know, I, I've answered that question, I don't know, man, probably if I had to say a good 10,000 times and it's like, right. you know, where to really begin. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot here again. Um, I started, I, well, I started acting when I was six. Um, the this, this story goes, you know, I, I um, used to watch, you know, TV uh, and particularly the Cosby Show with um, with my family. You know, he used to come on Thursday nights, eight o'clock. So you know, it was a family show. So quite naturally, you know, we would sit down and we'd watch it, and I would see the the Cosby Kids. And you know, I'm like, hey, you know, I was old enough to know that it was you know it was show business. It was you know make believe, but you know, still young enough to think that you know I could actually do what those kids are doing. I would say maybe, maybe low key crazy enough to think that as well. Cause at the time I, I have to say, side note, my family was living in Charlotte, North Carolina when, when this, my discovery of, you know, wanting to be an actor, um, you know, kind of came about. So it was one of those things where it seemed like an impossible thing, but as you all can see, it, it, it manifested, but back to the story. So, I mean, I would watch the show and, um, you know, I would always say, you know, after the show, like, you know, mom, dad, like, I, I, I want to do that. Like, I want to do that one day. And, you know, of course, they're like, well, yeah, you know, one day, you know, when you grow up, you can do whatever you want to do. They never discouraged me from, you know, pursuing dreams or whatever. So anyway, um, long story short, my parent, my mom uh, was speaking to uh, one of my aunties at the time. And she's like, man, you know, Norman is, is 
you know, he's precocious. Like, you, you ever think about, you know, like getting him in, into any type of, like, you know, uh, classes or, you know, uh, workshops or whatever. And my mom was like, well, I mean, we're in North Carolina, so how is that really going to happen? So she um, recommended a, a, a workshop that I could attend. But the problem is the workshop was in L.A., I was in, you know, we were in North Carolina, so my mom was like, okay, how is that going to work out? So another side note, my parents worked at the airline, worked the airline at the time. So, uh, of course, my kids were probably that day, like, oh, you know, you just pass things or whatever. Can't be just like... <laughs> your phone, <laughs> your phone was breaking up. You said your parents Uh-oh. worked for the airlines? Yeah, yeah. So, um, can, you hear, can you hear me now? Is that better? Yeah. All right. So, yeah, so my parents worked for the airline. And so um, what happened was I ended up, you know, yeah. being enrolled in this in this uh, commercial workshop at the, you know, um, I guess you could say the, the re- not request, but, like, you know, my, my auntie's like, you know, you guys should, you know, enroll him. So my, my, my parents did that. Um, so for four, well, for six, no, eight weeks, actually, um, we flew from Charlotte, North Carolina to LA. So after school, I, you know, we would fly, you know, my parents had the flying privilege. So we would fly, fly out. I would go from the airport to the, the place to uh, do the workshop. And then from there we would go, you know, back to the airport, catch the red eye and we fly back to North Carolina. And then I would go to school. We did that for two, two months. Okay. So the last class, uh, there were, you know, agents and managers, you know, basically, talent scouting and you know seeing who they who they wanted to uh, pick for representation and there were three major agents and all of them wanted to to rep me so from that point the um the director of the school you know basically gave some direction and said okay you guys should go with you know this manager this agent and you know from that point on um things started to kind of you know pop um actually about six months, a good six months after that process, um, my parents ended up getting transferred, ironically, back to L.A. So I was able to, you know, be out here to audition and all that stuff. And maybe about a year and a half after all of that, I ended up booking Cop and a Half. Wow, that's amazing. First, I want to say shout out to your parents for assisting you and following your dream at a young age like i do acting when i was a little kid i wanted to act and my parents was like mm-hmm. yeah right crazy i wasn't able to do it until i was 18 when i was an adult so shout out to them yeah. for you know what i'm saying oh yeah yeah i i definitely you know my parents are you know they are very very special individuals i love them immensely um you know i mean i'm speaking to you on this platform because of you know a lot of the sacrifices that they made so yeah i i appreciate you giving them that shout out i'm giving them a shout out and i never take for granted you know anything that they you know sacrifice in order for me to you know basically live on my dream at such a young age so you know yeah anybody out there is listening if you got parents that are was as supportive <laughs> as mine like do not take that for granted because it's rare and it's 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 treasure, you know. That's right. So, yeah. Cop and a Half. Let's talk about it. So, I will say, I first seen the movie when I was young, younger. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say maybe seven or eight. I fell in love with the movie when I first saw it. I thought it was cool. I thought the concept was cool. I thought she was cool. Everything about it, like I loved it. So, mm-hmm. can you tell it? Tell me like about the whole process 
so at the time you were signed to the agency mm-hmm. and then they uh, yeah so go ahead so i had yeah so i had an agent and you know cop and a half actually wasn't my first i mean it was my first major theatrical role that i booked but prior to cop and a half i mean i'd done a few commercials and then i did um i actually uh got a series a reoccurring role on a series called true colors that actually was short-lived because right after i did my first guest starring role on that show it they ended up canceling it the following season um so i say that to say in the mix of all of that i ended up actually auditioning for cop and a half for i mean about four times before i did uh what you call a screen test which is basically you know you do it, it's they put you on tape and then there are certain people from like the studio and you know, the different production companies that are involved. It, it basically tests you with, you know, the, the, the star at the time of Burt Reynolds. And, um, you know, in, in that, throughout that entire process, like, I mean, four times, like that's not unusual. I mean, in this case it, it was for me because the first, after the first, like, you know, audition, then I got a call back. At the callback, the initial reaction was, well, you know, he's too short, he's too small, because I was a pretty small kid, so I was like, he's, just, he's too small to do some of the stunts that's going to be involved, and it's just, it may not be a good fit. But there was this one casting agent, actually the main casting agent that was like, you know, all that might be well and good, but this kid is good, like, I mean, he he has, you know, he has it. Right. And, you know, it was that it was her persistence that actually got me to the point where I was able to actually test with uh, Burt Reynolds. And obviously, you know, he shared the same sentiment. He's like, you know, listen, I've at, I mean, at that point, he had auditioned personally with over 100 kids, you know, um, the, the entire process. I think it was closer to like 1300 people in, in, in total um, that auditioned for that role. It was something crazy like that. It was in the thousands. Was the role, um, was the role specifically a black kid, or you just have to actually? Land it? Actually, the role was written for you know yeah, given some history about it, the role was actually written for Macaulay Culkin. Oh wow! And yeah, and it was one of those things where it was written for him. He almost you know or his team you know they they almost basically came to well it came down to I mean he he was going to do it but it came down to you know money thing I mean it was during this time you know he was going into uh, Home Alone. I want to say Home Alone, too, I think so. I think he had already done Home Alone. You, you guys already know what success, you know, how big of a success that was. So, right. you know, anything that was coming after that, it was more or less like, okay, you guys, I mean, he's, he's at a seven-figure salary. Uh, you know, we can't we can't be dealing with no chicken shit, excuse my expression, you know, um, right. you know, roles. We gotta, y'all got to come with it. So what happened was he, it was, before they could renegotiate and get an actual acceptance, he became unavailable because he started, you know, the sequel to Home Alone was being filmed and he had a bunch of other stuff that was down the line. So he became like not available. So to answer your question more directly, like it was actually, it was written for him. So it was designed for a white child to do it, a white boy in particular. Um, Cause even with the name Devin Butler, that was changed once I was cast because it was, Dylan, Dylan, something. Okay. You know, so then <laughs> once I was once I was cast, I guess the directors and the writers was like, well, you know, it's a stretch to have a black kid with the name. I mean, not to say there's no black kids with the name Dylan, but you know that was 
one of the bigger changes, you know, once I was cast. And I, I was really kind of like that, that wild card, I guess you could say, that came in that wasn't, it, it wasn't expected for, you know, a black kid to land the role because it wasn't written for a black kid. And I mean, at one point, I believe that they opened it up to girls and it just, it based on everything that was, well, I mean, you saw the movie, so, you know, with me having to go and stay with the cat like that, it wouldn't have really Right. went over too well if it was a little girl. I mean, maybe it would have heightened the, the the conflict a little bit, but, you know, they decided to stick to a boy, but then they opened it up to different races. I hadn't seen the movie in years, and I rented it, and I watched it on my laptop uh, last night, and then I finished it today, man, and I cracked up, and, like, there was parts of the movie, like, I remember lines and stuff, and I was laughing like I had, like I had seen it like when I was a little kid, man. <laughs> and when I was like, yeah, go ahead. No, I was, I was just gonna say, yeah. I mean, it seems to, you know, that movie seems to have that effect on people. Um, you know, it's 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 amazing because I, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty modest dude, and you know, I mean, I've heard things like, oh, it's a cult classic. You know, you you did something legendary. You know, at your age, you know, co-starring in a movie with the major, you know, celebrity like that being black like that has, you know, so I've heard all that and it's like, okay, I, you know, kind of take it with a grain of salt, but I mean, I typically get to get a similar uh, reaction pretty much from everybody that I've spoken to that has seen the movie that, especially that were kids when it came out. So it's, it's like one of those things where they remember it. And then, you know, I've even gotten people, I, you know, showed it to my kids and they love it and it's just one of those things where it's like it, it's a magnet for for children when they see it it's just they fall in love with it which i mean for me that's really good to hear because it's you know that's that's you know only classical things have the ability to do that especially over time I mean, the movie is almost 30 years old and you know it's though it wasn't you know a huge like big to do like you know home alone or whatever i mean I, you know i have my theories on that but you know, maybe we'll get into that if, if, if we will in this interview. I don't know. Um, I think you probably know what I'm getting at. But, you know, it's still for its audience, for the people who actually, you know, appreciate it. it, it, it it's still the test of time. All right. Know? So two things. I, no, I kind of didn't understand what you was getting about the Home Alone. You can get into it. But the movie had a, a $4 million budget, but it grossed $40 million. Like, it was a success. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a, it was a success. Um, I'm sorry, did you have a? I'm, I mean, uh, oh I yeah, so in if you had a... yeah, no, you can, you can, you can go in depth about the the Home Alone thing that you was just talking about. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, so what I was getting ready to say just real quickly, um, it was a success based on, like you said, what the budget was, what it, you know, the the, the gross, you know, receipts against the budget, you know, in any, you know, business you can consider that a great success. However, you know, I mean, and it goes without saying that the climate that we're living in now, you know, with, with racism being, you know, really kind of at its peak um, in terms of, you know, the race relations and just it being a thing, no longer just like the elephant in the room, but it's now starting to be talked about. I feel like, you know, once again, the home alone thing, what I was alluding to was, you know, had I been, I mean, because I hadn't got, I actually had got a lot of comparisons to, you know, Macaulay Culkin in not such a, 
I guess you could say, favorable way where, you know, my agents would, you know, my mom, who was my manager at the time, you know, would, would you know, be, you know, like negotiate, de- you know, be negotiating deals and, you know, like basically trying to, um, you know, move my career further. And, you know, a couple times more, you know, more often than she should have gotten, you know, the response would be, you know, when she's trying to like kind of do things or, or, you know, negotiate on my behalf, it would be, oh, well, you know, he's no Macaulay Culkin. So it's like, well, what does that mean? Because Macaulay Culkin, you know, you know, he's a talented kid for the movies that he did, you know what I mean? And he was able to, I mean, this kid was getting, at one point, I think his quote was like 8 million a film, you know? And when you look back, there's a lot of, you know, there was a lot of child actors that, well, I mean, actually really not a lot, but there were a few really good African-American, you know, child actors that, you know, were doing their thing, you know? And, you know, for some reason we didn't, I mean, we worked, we had a, a certain amount of success, but then it was, it was kind of capped at, you know, okay, this is how much you're going to do. You know, there's only maybe a few of us that, you know, even were able to translate, you know, our, um, uh, our childhood fame or success to being, you know, uh, adult actors and actresses. Um, so it's just that, you know, because a lot, I mean, I get the question, like, well, what are you doing now? What happened? I mean, that movie was like, it was, it was big. It was, a, it was a success. Why didn't you do, you know, X, Y, Z? And it's, it's like, it's not that I personally, as a kid, didn't want to do as many movies as I possibly could, as many projects as I possibly could. It wasn't like my parents weren't supporting and, you know, trying to make that happen for me. It was just that, you know, once again, getting those, those things, those comparisons or, you know, just, you know, I would get scripts, you know, and, and I would read them and then, you know, I would ask, you know, it would go away. So I'd ask my mom, well, what happened to that one script that I read you guys, you know, gave me to read? Like, are we going to do that? Well, and, you know, at the time it was like, no, that, that project went away. But as I got older, you know, they would, they would explain, well, yeah, that particular project, the producer decided that they, you know, wanted to go with the white family or they wanted to do this or they wanted to do that, you know? So, you know, racism, unfortunately, you know, and it, it goes without saying, like, it plays a part in a lot of the things that we do. And I know pers- from personal experience that that has, you know, it has been, you know, like a thing even for me. I mean, obviously, I don't, you know, count that as like, oh, my God, like racism stopped, you know, my progress. Because I'm like, I'm going to, you know, keep on trying as much as I possibly can. But, you know, that is part of the story. Right. I didn't know it. So, yeah. Cop and a Half, where was that filmed at? It was shot in Tampa. Well, Tampa, Florida was the main city, but there were other lo- locations like St. Petersburg um, and then some other cities, you know, around in the surrounding areas of, of Tampa. Okay. Florida. So, yeah. can you tell us what was the average day uh, on set like of filming as a, as a kid actor? In a major movie. Okay, and on that particular set, you know, I would um, I would go in, and I started, I think it was, because it was a three-and-a-half-month shoot, so the first month I was actually still, I hadn't um, gotten out of school yet. So, you know, for me, I would go in, and, you know, I would work, I think at the time it was a seven-hour day, so it wasn't quite eight hours. It was a seven-hour day. So it was like, you know, working a work shift. Um and I wouldn't work continuously, but I would go in, 
you know, hair and makeup, wardrobe, get all that stuff done. And then I would go to, to, um, it depend, it depended on each day. Sometimes I would go, if, if I had scenes that were shot earlier in the day, then I would go and I would, you know, block and rehearse for those scenes. And then I would go to school until, you know, I was time for me to work. So whenever I wasn't working, I would be in school during the time that I was, you know, still in school. Um, when school was, you know, when school let out, then it was a similar, you know, similar schedule. I would go in, hair and makeup, you know, rehearsal scenes, you know, and, and, and shoot. And then, you know, obviously I was able to kind of hang out, you know, either on set or in my trailer, you know, until it was time for me to shoot the next um, scene or setup. With Cop and a Half, I was in the bulk of everything that was being shot. So I was pretty much continuously working, you know, at the downtime was when we would have to either, you know, move location, which was rare. Um, but sometimes, you know, we would have to move location during the, the shoot day. Um, and, or I would just wait for the new, the new setup. You mentioned school. Were you going to, mm-hmm. were you going to regular public school? I was actually in a public school, um, when I booked Cop and a Half, yes. And I actually maintained, I stayed in public school for for as long as I could until, you know, things with my career started to kind of gain momentum. So obviously it wasn't, um, it didn't quite work out for me to maintain, you know, regular, because I couldn't miss, you know, the days that I would have to miss if, you know, if I had a shoot that was, you know, two months during, you know, the time when school was in, like I couldn't miss all that time, you know, even with having a, a, a set tutor. Right. So um, after a certain point, my parents decided to uh, homeschool okay. so that I, you know, I could continue, obviously, my education, which was first and foremost. So when Cop and a Half came out in theaters, were you still in school or by that time you had went to homeschool? I was actually still in school because, interestingly enough, when I went back to school, um, the following, because Cop and a Half was released, I think, you know, the earlier part of 93, I think it was April 2nd. 93. So, um, I wasn't in, I'd been, you know, I let out of school early that particular year. Cause I, had, I did the press tour for that. And then other stuff was happening. So that went through the summer and then the following, yeah, the following year was, was the third grade. So I was, yeah, it was very interesting to go back to school and, you know, everyone had seen the movie and they're like, Oh my God, like you, you're like you were in a movie that like we just seen. I mean, we seen you know my friends. You know, like yeah, we seen you last year. Like I mean, I was just Norman to them, you know. But it's like whoa, like you did a movie. And then I mean, it did become a little strange because you know once you're for some reason I don't know psychology. You know, when when someone's face is like on TV, or especially back then. I mean, now it's a little different because you know everybody's a celebrity with social media. You know, you got your influencers and all that. But back then it was a thing. Like when your face was on the big screen or like here in LA, like I was, I had, you know, I could drive down major boulevards and see the poster, you know? So that became like, wow, like this face is on this poster on like La Cienega, which is a huge, you know, the big major street. So that was a thing for the kids. So it became kind of weird. And that, like I said, obviously, you know, the momentum of my career picked up and my parents were like, Oh, we just, just homeschool them because it's easier, you know? Were the kids were they treating you differently at school? Were like were they like were they like kissing your ass or were like were some kids like kinda hating on you or they was like, Ah, oh, you Norman, we know who you are. 
a little bit of all of that. Like the my my friends who were my friends before the movies, they were like, yeah, you know him. Like, I mean, that's cool. You did the movie. Like, wow, that's like, whoa, your face is, you know, like I mentioned before. Um, but for the most part, they, you know, they were pretty chill. Then you had some that were, you know, all of a sudden wanted to be my friend. <laughs> you know, I had all these, I had an influx of friends, you right. know, in third grade. And then, you know, there were some that were actually kind of cool with me at first, but then, you know, they were like a little bit more standoffish and, you know, there became, you know, it was like a, there was a problem with me at some, you know, basically they were hating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a little bit of, a little bit of all of that, but I mean, I, I, you know, I pretty much took it all in stride. I'm like, I'm, I'm me. I mean, this is something that I do, but I'm not, you know, like I haven't changed. I'm, I'm me. That's what's up. Yeah. What was your favorite scene of that movie to film? Favorite scene? I would have to say the boat scene because if you can imagine, you know, at eight years old, I was able to actually like drive something. Right. Oh, and so really that was it. okay. Yeah, yeah. There were certain certain. I mean, obviously, you know, the boat jump that was, you know, that was a major stunt. So neither Bert nor I was in the boat when you know we went up the pipes. We jumped the pipes. Uh, that was a major one. And then um, I think, you know, there was a scene where the boat went around two tugboats. Well, the establishing shot of that, where, you know, we cut to the, I think it was like the right or whatever, that wasn't us. But when we came around, that was, that was us. And I'm sharing this because I remember when we're driving, you know, Bert's like, all right, well, you know, I'm, I'm trusting you not to like, kill us because we're you know going <laughs> balls out in this boat you know and you're like you have the wheels so, and you're eight you've never driven before so don't kill us so there was prompt you know we, we went through it and you know obviously he was there just in case anything actually happened but um when we went around the tugboat he's like okay break left and so he's like when i say that you just you know tug the wheel to the left as hard as you can so i remember you know we did that scene maybe like two or three times you know, and each time he's like, break left. So I, with all my might, just broke the, you know, turned the steering wheel to the left. That was so much fun. And then afterwards, you know, they had a, um, one of the stunt coordinators came with the, with the bullhorn because they had a chase boat just in case, you know, something happened. And then the, the boat that was actually filming us on the water. And so everybody, like, all the stunt coordinators were, like, clapping and cheering. I was like, yeah, you know, he actually, like, he didn't, he didn't, we didn't die. <laughs> so, yeah, it was pretty fun. So in that, so in your career, but in this particular movie, you work with two legends, an RIP to both of them, Burt Reynolds and Miss Ruby D. How was it working with those two legends? Oh wait a minute, we can't forget Maya Angelou, Miss Maya Angelou. She she was in the movie. No, she wasn't in she wasn't in Cop and a, Oh, you are talking about for Cop and a Half? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I always have to mention her because, I mean, I have a lot of great stories about when I worked with her. She was actually on the, the Oprah um, project that I did. But, yeah, I'm gonna, sorry. I was going to mention that. But, yeah, we're going to talk about those two. Yeah, so the, the two that you mentioned in for this project. Um, wow, I mean, I, you know, interestingly enough, I, I, about two weeks ago, um, I was just, you know, sitting in, you know, my new place with my fiancé and I, and we were just trying to figure out what to watch. And, you know, we're, she's an actress as well, so, like, we watch movies and TV shows and, you know, just, like, what we what we do. And 
um, for some reason, like I was looking at the on demand and Smoking the Bandit, you know, came on, and um, like I just had to watch it all the way through because, and it, it even though watching that movie, I mean that movie was made so many years before I was even a thought, you know, but so, like watching that movie and watching him just brought back so many memories, and it, it also you know spawned a deeper appreciation for you know the me being able to to work with him um i mean that like i learned a lot about you know not only the craft of 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 acting but just you know like you know understanding that your fans are dope like if you know your fans i mean i remember watching him you know there were times when we would be shooting and you know they would you know cordon off like the places where we would shoot but there would be fans like kind of on the sidelines and you know trying to catch a glimpse of Burt Reynolds and I remember you know there were certain people on the set that would be like oh well you know we're you know they were very busy in in Hollywood we're making a movie here but Burt was like you know wait a minute I see these people over here trying to get a picture I'm gonna go he would always go to his fans and spend time with them and talk with them and I just remember that and that's what made him such the person that he was where, I mean, a lot of people, you know, they might have shit to say about him or how he was whatever, you know what I mean? But from what I experienced, I saw a guy that, you know, he adored his fans. He adored people, you know, and, and, and but he, I mean, he also didn't take no shit. I know you, you were on some BS, he would call you out, but I just, that was one of the greatest lessons I think I could have learned from him. And now Miss Ruby D. Well, you know, she was, she played my grandma and she, she really was like literally my set grandma. I mean, you know, I felt like, um, I mean, obviously nothing can replace, you know, my own, you know, my own granny, but, you know, she was, you know, I guess you could say the closest thing to, you know, that from my first experience and actually having like an on-screen grandma, I mean, she was, was really, really awesome. I mean, I felt like it wasn't just, you know, okay, so I'm going to play your grandma, honey, and, you know, we're going to do this make-believe, you know, while we're on set. I mean, there were, you know, we, you know, we had, I had an opportunity to, um, there was actually a concert, the BBNCC Wine concert that was taking place during filming, and, you know, they had invited her to come out, and so, you know, obviously anytime that she was invited to do something, she would always think of me and my family, you know, and, and I remember uh, one time in particular she came into the dressing room and um you know we were it was downtime i think it may have been either during lunch or right after that we were waiting for a setup and you know she came in i have two older sisters so you know she came in and you know she was talking to them and you know then before you know it she was like braiding their hair and you know she's just talking about her experience as an actress and you know like all the different roles that she played and you know, it was just like thinking, I mean, at the time, you know, obviously I was eight, so I didn't understand like, okay, this is a legend <laughs> that, that this is happening. Where I'm just like, okay, well, you know, somebody that I'm working with, you know. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, just thinking back, I'm so honored that I actually had the, you know, the opportunity, um, you know, with, with both of those individuals. Yeah, you worked with a lot of other legends, Patrick Stewart. Oprah, mm-hmm. Danny Glover, Wesley Snipes, you mentioned Maya Angelou. All this yeah. before all this before what, twelve and thirteen years old? Mm-hmm. All, yeah, most of it all was before thirteen. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. I mean there were there were there were other, you know, opportunities. I mean I, I actually you know, this is just where you guys saw I me and I, I actually had a was going to do a project with uh, Harry Belafonte. 
um, back in, I think it was 94, he was trying to develop a TV show. And, um, you know, I remember, you know, being able to meet with him and discuss the project and get, you know, really good, a lot of insight from him in terms of like the industry and just, you know, growing up and whatnot. And I, I say that to say, it's like, so, you know, you, you see what you see in terms of me working with these people, but there was, you know, the, the opportunity to even work, you know, not necessarily work with Harry Belafonte, but like have that, um, that opportunity to, to meet him and just hear about his experiences and stuff like that. I mean, it was, it was such a um, it was such an honor to to really have that those experiences. Yeah, even just to meet him, that's uh, huge in its own. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Are you familiar with Cup and a Half in Australia? Cuff and a Half. Yeah, you don't know about that. Like C U F F. No, C U P Cup and a Half. Oh no, I don't know anything about that. Okay, so. <laughs> Cup, Cup and a Half is a cafe in Australia, in New South Wales, Australia, and it pays tribute to Cop and a Half. And it's, Get out of here. Yeah. I had no idea that that existed. That's funny. Well, <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be on the lookout from what I read. You'll, they'll probably reach out to you because it said in 2021, the plans is to get the cast to come to the cafe. Wow, I had no idea that that was actually <laughs> even a thing, but damn, okay. Yeah, man. Wow. Yeah, I found that wow. out when I was doing my homework. That's interesting, man. I haven't actually been to Australia in, whew, it's been a minute. Actually, Moby Dick was filmed in, in uh, well, outside of Mel- Melbourne. Okay. So I was there back and forth, you know, for a little bit. So that, I mean, shoot, that would be a treat to hang out with them and. yeah. Do all of that, yeah, that's dope. Yeah, because I've been to. I, I didn't know about it though. I've been to Sydney twice, and I've been to the Gold Coast. I want to go back to Australia, okay. so hopefully they lift the restrictions and I can get back over there. Yeah, yeah, I've been wanting to go back to back down under, as they call it, for for a while as well. So sure, I don't know, maybe that might be an opportunity. I mean, even just to visit it, I think that would be very interesting. Yeah, cup and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I didn't I didn't look it up or whatever. I just seen it, so I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I was gonna go back and see like what the cafe looked like and the menu and all the other stuff. Yeah, but yeah, man, they rocking wow. with you in Australia, man. Well, that's what's up. Hey, shout out to shout out to New South Wales. You see, yeah, Sydney's in New, New South Wales. Yeah. yeah, so shout out to Sydney and Melbourne and all of them. Joints. That's 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 what's up. Yeah, S- something. When I seen it, I was excited, and then when I saw the picture and read the description, I was highly disappointed, and I didn't support it. And that is Cop and a Half Two. Oh. <laughs> I feel like if they was gonna do Cop and a Half Two, they needed to do it with Devin Butler, where he grew up to be a cop, and he's mentoring someone like him. Like, yeah, yeah. man, that was yeah. trash. It was horrible idea and everything, and I didn't. You support know, it. I, I, you know, I. You're, brother, you're not the only person that has said that. You know, when it came out, ironically, because um, once again, you know, I knew nothing about it until I start seeing. Actually, the, we, the, the way that I found out about it was through fans. Like, hey, have you heard about blah, blah, blah? Are you a part of this project? Like, like angrily. And I'm like, hold on, wait a minute. What, what you talking about? So as I started <laughs> doing my research, I'm like, oh, 
happen to have two new recruits. Hmm. And then once, just like you, I start, I kind of read the thing. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. So, I mean, obviously I'm, you know, I'm an artist. So I'm like, okay, I'm not, I don't want to hate on anybody's, you know, artistic vision of how they want to go about doing this. But, you know, I mean, I, I can't say that I don't, uh, that I, I can't say that I disagree with you in terms of, you know, the, the actual premise, because over the years, man, I've had so many people say, you know, yeah, why don't you do a sequel where like, you know, you're all grown up and, you know, blah, 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 pretty much same premise. Like you're mentoring some other kid or, you know, whatever the case. So, I mean, once again, you know, this kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier. And I mean, I, I hate to, you know, keep, you know, we bring up the R word and, you know, a lot of times, when, you know, especially as people, people of color, when we talk about it, you know, it's often looked at as, oh, that's just like, you know, using that as a scapegoat or, you know, I'm tired of hearing it. But, you know, in other, you know, there's been other movies that have, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, there's two sides. There's, there's the actual deal making part of Hollywood and how that machine works, you know, as well as, you know, the actual artistic vision of the person who decided to write new recruit and, and didn't think that, okay, well, you know, we can include the original kid who is, as you can see, still very much around. And that storyline would have probably been a lot more success. I mean, cause from what I hear, new recruit didn't, most people were like, this is crap. Like I'm, this movie is not, like cop and a half is the only cop and a half that exists. Right. The other one, whatever, you know. So I say all that to say, you know, is that that's a testament to, you know, what I was speaking about earlier in terms of, you know, like I said, I'm very much around. I no one contacted me, no one and for all I know, you know, there were some of the players that got cop and a half, you know, produced and and, you know, out into the into the theaters where they were kind of a part of that maybe maybe more on a peripheral uh level not really excuse me highly involved but you know once again there was never a shout out or a you know or you know reach out like would you like to reprise your role or anything like that and i feel like had i not been who i am i mean because there's been other sequels i mean speaking of cop and a half when you look at smoking a bandit and you look at smoking a bandit two and three I mean, I'm keeping it real. Two and three were horrible, horrible movies. So much so that third one, Bert was like, I don't want to be part of this because you guys are just like rehashing. It's not as good as, I mean, the original was like great. The original Smoking Abandoned was great. Just like people say the original Cop and a Half was great. So, but at least he had an opportunity, you know what I'm saying, to reprise his role. Whereas I didn't, you know, I, did, I had no idea that that was, that was happening. I mean, I found out about it through, you know, a, a fan. I mean, it's not like I don't know what's going on, you know, with things, new, new projects that are happening. I just, you know, when it comes to things that I've done, I'm just like, all right, you know, I'm, I want to see what else is, what, what else is out there. So it, it, I was, I was just kind of like, it missed me until I saw it and I'm like, Hmm, I'm going to have new recruit, you know? And then it, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I feel, um, in some ways I feel kind of, I wouldn't say bad. I'm like, you know, the, the, the girl who played, I guess, you know, my character or she was in my shoes. It's just, you know, most fan, uh, fans of cop and a half are like, it'll, it'll, it'll never only be one cop and a half. And that's with Devin Butler. And that's, you know, Norman, you go in the second. So, I mean, on one hand, I'm honored to, you know, to be in that position. The other hand, I'm like, 
sucks for her. <laughs> yeah, I feel you, man. That that I'm yeah. Devin Butler. That chant is legendary, dog. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that I, I um actually real funny story when I was in school. Um, actually, when I went back after the 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 uh, summer break and the movie that came out, um, I remember at lunch. I think it was like actually at the end of the year. Um, I it was rumors that the kids were gonna like do something along the lines of like what the you know something along the lines of like what happened in the movie, you know, with the with the Twinkie fight and all that stuff. But sure enough, I mean, I didn't know if it was true or not. I really didn't care to be honest with you. I was just like, okay, I, I kind of hope that they don't because it was like, oh man, like you know, now everybody's looking at me like kind of being the center of attention. But sure enough, at the end of the year. So when we were <laughs> when we were at lunch, I think it was like maybe the next to the last day. Or it could have been the last day of school. Everybody, um, well, one of the kids stood up. Was like I'm Devin. So when I heard, I'm like, oh my god, they're actually gonna do this. So <laughs> they basically reenacted. <laughs> they reenacted the scene at my school. At, you know, the last day of third grade, which I thought was. I mean, and now I, I, I thought I think it's was funny, but at the time, I was just like, oh, my God, they're actually doing this. They didn't have the balls enough to do that when I was in school. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about your your music. How'd you get into music? Well, I come from, I come from a musical family. So, you know, I think music is something that is innate. I mean, you know, acting actually was I mean, it is too, but, you know, I mean, I have, like, my both of my parents, you know, they were in bands when they were, you know, younger teenagers. Um, my mom actually was, you know, she's been singing since she's eight, you know, and actually speaking that, she's, uh, side note, shout out to mom, she's getting ready to uh, um, record, or she's recording an album, she's going to release her album soon, and, um, you know, she's been a recording artist you know, off and on, but, you know, she took obviously time off to raise a family and do all that. So now, you know, she's like, I'm going to get back into that. Um, so she's, you know, doing her thing with that. Um, but, uh, but to get back to your question, I mean, I just, I come from a musical family and I think, you know, when, for me, when things kind of got like, okay, so what am I going to, you know, like, how am I going to, you know, continue, you know, my legacy as an artist or how, how can I, you know, reinvent myself? I think, you know, music was that outlet to, you know, kind of get away from the, the stagnation or the rut of, you know, Hollywood and the, on the film side of like, you know, you know, going after roles and, you know, auditioning and, you know, basically trying to get film projects. So that was a great relief and you know like therapy in, in a sense where i could you know uh touch on some um some of my other talent yeah and i seen you perform with herbie hancock yeah yeah i did a uh concert um because actually we're both uh we're both buddhists nietzsche buddhists so actually i grew up nietzsche buddhist and so we i was a part of a band that our buddhist organization or an orchestra actually not a band, but an orchestra that our um, Buddhist organization supported. It was, you know, a group of Buddhist musicians that, um, you know, played together. A few of them, um, actually, 
the composer of the the band, the leader of the, uh, the uh, orchestra. His name is Benny Maupin. He actually composed with like you know Charlie Parker. Um, I'm sorry, Coltrane, uh, Miles Davis. Uh, he's actually worked with Herbie Hancock as well, Wayne Shorter. Um, so yeah, we back in 2008, I think that concert was. Um, we did a um, uh, performance with the with the orchestra, and Herbie Hancock was the special guest, and I got a chance to you know perform in that you know in the in that um, with that collective with with him, which was very very interesting and you know very uh, once again it was uh, immense amount of gratitude that I had that opportunity to to um, to do that. Yeah, I remember after the <laughs> the concert, you know, he's because I had basically what happened was they uh, took one of my songs and composed it. It had like a, a very old school, you know, jazzy vibe to it. So um, Benny Maupin took it and wrote sheet music to it, and you know, kind of rearranged it. And I, you know, I mean, I, I did the you know the um, the verses over his arrangement. And I remember, um, you know, Herbie Hancock just kind of like, wow, you, 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 that was that was some that was some great work that you that, that you did, you know, with that with that song. I, you know, that's very rare that you you know you hear it and it's done as well as as well as you did. So I'm like, oh, okay, I will take that <laughs> as a compliment, sir. Well, yeah, that's dope. <laughs> yeah. So. You know, you're not going to remember this, but we used to be Twitter friends years ago. And you had sent like a tweet out saying like, artists, send me music. I want to hear music. And I sent you mine and you had hit me back, you know, critiquing it. And like, that's how we had established a relationship on Twitter like years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. I You have to forgive me because with my Twitter audience, I, man, I, you know, I connect. Um, that's I'm glad, you know, we connected via IG as well because I'm a lot more on that Twitter is like, like like the machine, you know, just kind of put it out there. Um, and I've had many conversations that like you, like you said, you're right. It's like, yeah, vaguely remember that. <laughs> you mentioned it. Okay. Yeah, I do now, but yeah, not so much. <laughs> so, so, I mean, shout out to all my Twitter followers. I mean, no, you know, no shade, no offense, but I just, you know, it's just kind of one of those things where, you know, you got all these social, that you know when you're like me i'm like i like to connect with my fans and my audience and sometimes you know stuff gets lost in the loop you know we're human yeah another movie you did that i liked growing up was uh on promised land yeah yeah that's one of those ones that you know it's interesting that you would mention that because a lot of people don't you know when i when i hear that film mentioned and someone's like yeah you were no promise i'm like yeah you know my work because that's the one that wasn't you know really widely known Uh uh-huh yeah i remember the dog was attacking you yeah yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) t-top what was the dog's name t-top okay yeah i forgot the dog's name yeah i just remember the dog was biting your legs yeah, yeah. Actually, I rem- I remember the dog's name because actually the working title for that film was My Precious T Top. Okay. So yeah, they changed it to On Promised Land because of the premise. It made more sense as On Promised Land than My Precious T Top. Right. 
And yeah. I, I seen during the, the filming of Cop in the Half, you used to go and visit sick children. Mm-hmm. So was that your idea or was that something that the, the industry, they had, your peoples had you doing? Or you was like, hey, I want to go see these kids. Well, it was a mixture. It was a mixture of both. I mean, you can imagine at eight, you know, I, I really wasn't, you know, that in tune with like, oh, yeah, you know, I want to go and look at, you know, go look up a children's hospital over the kids. But the idea was, um, well, actually, um, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a hybrid. I'll take that back because my mom had become friends with um, a lady when we were in Florida when we were shooting and her son actually happened to be, you know, um, you know, in and out of the hospital. He had, you know, he had cancer and him and I became, you know, good friends. And it was outside of like, oh yeah, you know, you're in the movie and you know, me, I'm just like, yeah, we're, you know, we're kids and we were friends. And um, so my mom actually thought that it would be a guy, you know, she's talking with you know, uh, my uh, friend's mom. And, and so she's like, man, maybe, you know, it would be uh, a good idea to, you know, maybe have Norman go and visit, you know, the kids. And so the lady was like, oh, wow, that would like be, they would love that. And it was during the filming. And I mean, in, in Florida, it was a lot more popular, like a wide known because, you know, it was a movie with Burt Reynolds, he's like the hometown hero, you know what I mean? Filming a movie. So everybody knew that it was, the filming was taking place. So it was a pretty huge deal for them. And then also too, like he's filming this movie with his kids. So the kids at the hospital knew what was going on and all of that too. So they were just like, I mean, it was a delight for them to, you know, see me, you know, visiting them. And then for me, it was like, Oh, I, you know, I'm, I get to hang out with like some kids. Cause you can imagine like when I'm, you know, as when I'm filming, it's me and a whole bunch of adults. I mean, I, my parents are there and then like all these adults. So I'm like, yes, I can hang out with like some kids. But then, you know, once I understood like the gravity of what was, what was happening, you know, my, even still, you know, my heart just, you know, it goes out to, you know, children, especially those that are, you know, suffering from, you know, the terminal illnesses such as um, cancer. Cause I, you know, made friends with, a couple of the kids who, you know, obviously they're no longer with us, but, you know, and that was difficult over the years, you know, you make friends and you kind of keep in touch and then, you know, you hear, you know, um, at 10, you know, I remember, uh, you know, the guy, the kid who I was, you know, friends with, I would see, you know, with his mom who actually prompted the visit, you know, he died and I'm like, you know, we were 10. So that, that's, that had a profound effect you know, on me. Um, but ever since then, you know, I've always tried to do what I, what I could for, you know, various charities or organizations or movements that, you know, supported, um, you know, studies or, you know, treatments for children with, um, the terminal illnesses and cancers and whatnot. That's what's up. I seen you had took a, a break from the industry and went to college and got a degree in English and liberal arts. Mm-hmm. All right. Sure did. Yeah. Yep. How, how was college? College, college was, you know, it was a lot more focused. And I, I say that to say, you know, this was obviously, you know, a, a while after, you know, the movie business and all that kind of stuff. So I really got a chance at that point, you know, I had, you know, lived life and, you know, outside of, you know, auditioning and the whole entertainment industry wheel, 
Um, so it it was a lot more focused. It, it allowed me to really kind of understand, you know, me and, you know, how the world works. Um, you know, obviously I didn't go to, well, I shouldn't say obviously because it might not be that obvious. Well, for me, I didn't go to college for a particular degree. It was, you know, not necessarily just for a particular degree, but, but for, you know, the interaction with, okay, so this is what's going on in the world. You know, I, I took it a lot more, um, to heart than just, okay, well, I'm going to get a degree so I can apply this degree and like use it for something, you know, which is, you know, the study of liberal arts, it's a very general subject, but I feel like it's also one that, you know, really establishes um, or helps a person like to establish who they are as a person and not just, oh, I am Norman the actor or I am Norman the, the scientist or the carpenter or the you know, the business mogul, but I am Norman who understands the business mogul, the carpenter. I can have all these conversations with different people, you know, because that's, was, you know, my study. So I feel like college was, it wasn't the, you know, I mean, I didn't have the, you know, the stories of like, Oh yeah. You know, the dorm room part. I mean, I, I, I participated in that with, <laughs> with with other friends and family, you know, like, of course, you know, you, you have those experiences, but for me, it was a lot more like, all right, this is, you know, I mean, if I'm going to spend, you know, all this money and this time, you know, I'm going to get something, something out of it that's worthwhile. That's what's up. Yeah. Can you tell us about Hollywood Kid? Hollywood Kid. So Hollywood Kid in a nutshell, is my story. It's a project that I, um, actually it's my second project that I am doing under a, a distribution agreement with um, uh, First Focus, which is a stream, you know, it's a streaming uh, distribution company. I mean, they do uh, features as well, but because of COVID, you know, everything's kind of, you know, shut down or, you know, moving more towards streaming. So um, I was fortunate enough to, uh, get distribution for a short that I did entitled Misreception um, that was released in uh, June of this year, uh, uh, June 19th, actually, June 10th. Um, so then Hollywood Kid is actually the follow-up to, um, it's the second, not the follow-up, I'm sorry, the second uh, project on that, with that deal. Um, yeah, so it's, it's pretty much, you know, everything that I've, well, not everything, but, you know, a snapshot of what I've, I've mentioned thus far in this conversation about, you know, my experience, you know, having grown up, you know, now that I, you know, I mean, I've, I've done, you know, I've gone to college, I've done music, and you know, I'm now actually a writer and producer, as you can see, you know, wrote and produced these two short films, um, and, you know, it's just kind of putting a satirical, uh, you know, spotlight on excuse me, my experience as a former child actor turned, you know, writer, producer, director, and how that, how that looks, you know, everywhere, everything from, you know, I mean, as you know, as you said before, you know, I have a lot of, um, or not a lot, but I have a few, you know, uh, fan friends and fans that have become, you know, friends of mine. And, you know, I normally get, oh man, you know, you should do, you know, 
XYZ or, you know, how about if you wrote like a sequel to Captain Heaven? So I'm, I'm <laughs> like hearing this and then, you know, I also have, you know, I still have relationships, you know, in the industry where, you know, I've pitched things to, you know, executives or, you know, people that are in, you know, they're like, yeah, no, if you got, you know, work, you know, send me some log lines and, you know, I'll, I'll run it up the channel and, you know, you, you either hear from them or sometimes you don't. And it's just like, you know, you follow up and they're like, oh, well, you know, uh, so Hollywood Kid is basically examining, like, you know, when you wonder, I wonder what happened to Devin Butler. If you watch Hollywood Kid, you'll see what a snapshot of what Devin Butler or, or Normandy Golden II has kind of been up against as it pertains to, you know, continuing a career in the entertainment industry. You know, every, everything from, like we talked about, you know, the whole racism thing to, you know, once again, like I said, you have people saying, you know, yeah, shoot me some log lines. So you shoot the log lines and like, oh, we're looking for, you know, female-led, you know, dramas or thrillers or whatever. And then, you know, you submit them something that your heart is really into. They're like, oh, well, you know, if we change the premise to this and blah, blah, blah. Because like in the beginning, I don't want to, you know, take, you know, um, tell too much about the project because I want you guys to, you know, people listening, I want you to watch it. But at the beginning, you know, I'm like going through these series of pitch meetings you know, where, you know, the, the backstory behind those pitch meetings is, you know, you get feedback on the projects that these people are looking for. And so you go in and you pitch and then they're like, Oh yeah, well, you know, I have some questions and then they're asking these questions and it's just like left field stuff. And then, you know, it, it's a lot of times you, once again, you don't, you know, sometimes it happens for some people where they're able to, you know, like follow up and get projects made, but in my case, I've had quite a bit of, oh, well, yeah, you know, we'll get back to you. Or that's not quite what we were looking for. How about X, Y, Z? They give you notes, and then you address the notes, and then, you know, they become busy with four other projects, you know. So Hollywood Kid is basically that that that, that project, the examination of what Normandy Golden II has, you know, dealt with. I mean, even outside of, you know, even, you know, trying to collaborate with others and things just kind of like not, really working out but still you know wanting to wanting to pursue your passion and where can people find that at well it's that it hasn't been released yet so i'm you know gonna do a marketing um you know do a marketing like campaign or i really I mean, it's funny like for some reason i'm so like saying marketing campaign like i want to market it i wanted to you know kind of you know marinate a little bit um but the actual release uh schedule release is the beginning of 2021 okay i'm excited i'll definitely check it out yeah i appreciate it i think you i think you'll um i mean outside of just having this conversation with me i mean it'll 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 answer some questions if you're ever wondering like what does this guy go through what is what's happened with him you you'll 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 get a nice little like like I said, it's a satirical look at, you know, whatever happened to this Devin Butler kid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So for most people, if they don't know my career, they're thinking I did cop and a half and then that was like it. It's like, no, I actually had, you know, I had a, a decent career and, you know, things happen. That's right. You have any, any projects besides Hollywood Kid that you're working on? Uh, well, Hollywood Kid is actually the, the most uh, recent, the one that I'm really focusing on. Um, once again, like I said, I do have another short film that's out. It's streaming now on um, 
I, I believe it's on Amazon Prime now. We finally got um got everything, all the QC and, and stuff finished for that. So um yeah, so that's one that I'm very proud of because it actually talks about the issue of you know the you know the the police officers and the the relationship with you know cops, law enforcement and the black community and you know it puts me who is this kid who you know got in trouble but instead of jail time he is forced to do this police ride-along program so he's able to see kind of like you know the the issues that you know cops deal with um while on duty as well as you know how he fits into that bigger picture and it's a project that you know, it doesn't necessarily, you know, because when I, when I say that to some people, you know, especially, I mean, that's a charged subject in, in the times that we're living in. So they're like, well, you know, are you trying to, like, make a case for the officers? And, you know, the answer to that is, is it's no, honestly. But what I am more or less trying to do is, is, you know, my objective was to show how, you know, fragile, you know, humanity, how fragile the human life can be and how we don't really you know, we kind of take that for granted. And it's really not about, you know, you got these people with this BS, blue life, like what's a blue life? You know I mean? I get what you're saying, but it's like, you're right. Yeah, all, you know, all lives does matter. But if, if that's really the case, then we wouldn't even have to say black lives matter because we would know that all lives matter. So we wouldn't see people senselessly losing their lives and being killed because of whatever reason. We would We would respect life a lot more. So that project really kind of speaks to that in a broader sense. I mean, obviously, you know, you got 14 minutes to convey a thought, you know, beginning, middle and end. But the idea behind that project is to really showcase that, you know, we're, we're living in some very complex times and I mean, we're complex people as human beings, but it's, it's really, you know, the, the simple, the simple commonality that we all have is that we're all human. And, you know, once we understand that that's like, it's a big deal. You know, to be human in this lifetime is, is a big deal and we should not, like, <laughs> we shouldn't screw around with that. That's just not a good idea, but we do, you know, so, and then things happen. Right. I just got yeah. one more question before we get out of here. Something that you mentioned, and I'm, I'm going through it myself personally, so you can maybe help me out, is when you mentioned where you pitch stuff to people or you reach out to folks and you don't hear anything back. Like, how do you deal mm-hmm. with that? Because I've been going through that a lot. I've been reaching out to folks, trying to get them on the show, and I'll see that they read the message, and I hear nothing back, and I'm like, damn, like, you could at least be like, no, or I'll get back to you. Like, yeah, like, yeah, can you help me out, man? Like, how do you deal with that? Man, it's, you know, I think it's just, you know, it's one part human nature. I, I honestly, I've learned to, you know, when I see things like that, it's, I think it's a, it's a matter of perspective, you know, and where you're, where you are, where your um, you know, where your heart is. And by that, I mean this, like if I see, you know, understanding that a lot of people, you know, they'll read it and they, you know, a lot of people don't really like to say no to people. You know, it's not, that's not a thing that, you know, when you're growing up, you know, sure. It's like, yeah, no means no in certain applications, but you know, most people are like, well, I don't really want to have, I'll let them down easy. All right, you know, instead of just saying it's okay to say no, you know, um, I say that to say I understand that 
so I, you know, at one point before I had like developed that understanding, I would be the same way. Like, man, can't you just, you know, but so now that I understand that people don't like to say no, it's like, okay, well they read it. So because they didn't respond to whatever, you know, I put out, then obviously it's a no, or maybe it's a not now. So what next? <laughs> really? That's the best. That's the only, you know, thing that I really can say to that. Um, and it's not even about like, oh, well, you know, fuck them, like they being rude. Blah, blah. It's not even about that. It's just, you know, there's a there's a lot of things that, you know, like I said, human life and just people have their schedules and people get busy and think life just moves on. You know, sometimes some of those reds, somebody could have been a moment from typing yes, but then something drastically happened in their life. And, you know, if you're not in their life, you are in, I mean, no offense but like you become insignificant and they don't circle back, you know, but it's not, it's no, it's no harm on you. It's just, that's just how it is. So right. for me, like I've learned to just kind of power through and I think I've developed a, a certain type of skin for this, you know, being, you know, handling rejection at such a young age in, you know, in bulk. Like, I mean, I will go, I mean, there's plenty of auditions that I've gone out on, you know, that I didn't book. And I mean, I'm even, I, you know, I've had, I, I'm friends with some of the people that book some of the roles that when we were coming up, you know what I mean? Like they, but the thing is, it's like, okay, that role was for them and it wasn't for me. And the stuff that was for me was for me and I did it. And, you know, I'm still standing and, you know, it's like some will, some won't, so what next? That's right. Man, I'm going to say thank you. It was an honor to talk to you. I grew up on you. I've been a fan of you since... Well, shit. I don't, I don't remember what movie at first I seen of you, or was it? But I've been a fan of you since forever, man. So thank you, bro, <laughs> for, for coming on here. Uh, let the people know where they can find you on social media. Well, you mentioned, you know, I got a, I got a Twitter. Um, beware, because I, you know, I'm, I'm, I interact on Twitter, but that's 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 a really fast freeway for me. Um, if you want to kind of sit down and you know, take the, you know, coffee and muffin approach and chill, then you can hit me on IG. Um, I'm at Golden Child II. Um, I'm also at Facebook, Normandy Golden Second. You can leave me a message there. Um, those pretty much are the only, the main ones. Um, I have a website, Normandy Golden Second. Actually, it's normandygolden.com. Um, you can see certain updates of the film Misperception. I don't have anything on there with Hollywood Kid yet, but that's you know, coming down the pipeline as we get closer to release. Um, yeah, so basically just, you know, IG, Twitter, um, and uh, Facebook. Yeah, it was good talking yeah. to you. You know, we can stay in touch whenever you have little projects or just whenever you want to come over here and just and just talk, man. You got an open invite. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. It was good actually, you know, chatting with you. Um, I feel like there was a lot that, you know, we, we talked about, I could have actually expounded, but, you know, because of the time, I know you asked me about the time before, beforehand, so I appreciate you respecting that or whatever, but yeah, man, anytime, I'm always down to, to chit-chat and, you know, chop it up and do all of that good stuff. Yeah, I had to ask, because, like, we do, like, uh, average episode for us is, like, two and a half hours. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so I had to ask, like, <laughs> how much time you got? Yeah. But yeah, bro, man, thank you so much for, for coming on, man, and have a good rest of the evening. Likewise, man. Appreciate yeah. it. And I'll be hollering back at you. All right, for sure. All right, bro, take it easy. All right, man, you too.
right, y'all. That was Norman D. Golden II, you know, a.k.a. Devin Butler from the movie Cop and a Half. Y'all heard it, so drop a bomb for cuz. As always, if you have a goal, a dream, go after that shit. Don't listen to people telling you, ah, oh, that's dumb, don't do it, that'll never happen. Fuck what they say. Follow your heart. You know what? Follow your damn heart. That's all I got to say about that. For everybody out there that I like, love, and respect, and you have mutual feelings towards me, I want to send positive vibes to y'all, good health, good wealth. I want all the good shit that you want in life to come true, and I want it to happen to you. For everybody out there that be lying on me, talking shit, making rumors and accusations and all that little shit, fuck y'all, eat a dick, die slow. This is the Fresh Podcast. I'm up out of here. This podcast has been presented to you by Extraterrestrial Enterprises.